What just happened? <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to encourage the intro music to start. I don't know. <laughs> All right, here we go. Are you cargo culting the intro? <laughs> <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash new relic. This podcast is also sponsored by railsthemes.com. Have an app only a mother could love? Check out railsthemes.com. They're also giving out some pretty cool swag at RailsConf, so find them, get some, and thank them for sponsoring Ruby Rogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 53 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have David Brady. I am the great... Uh, no, can't do it with a straight face. I'm Dave. We also have Avdi Grimm. Good morning. Josh Susser. Okay, uh, uh, proudly leading Team San Francisco this morning. James Edward Gray. How the heck did we end up with this many Californians on one call? What happened? I know, it's scary. Outsourced. <laughs> and I'm Charles Maxwood from TeachMeToCode.com. We also have two uh, guest rogues. Uh, that is uh, Jack Danger. What's your last name, Jack? I just, <laughs> I, I, I get stuck at danger. Sure, sure. It's canty. It's Irish for happy. Oh, okay. And your we name also... is Happy Danger? That is amazing. <laughs> nice. Jack Danger Happy, actually. Danger Happy. Yeah, that's yeah. Like, that's like the Chinese ideogram for opportunity <laughs> is crisis plus opportunity. Yeah. So I, I just want to know what, what the words in Irish are for sleepy, dopey, doc, um, <laughs> bashful, sneezy. Who am I forgetting? Man. Well, Sleepy is Zach, Dopey is Brock, so I think we're actually covered the next guest. <laughs> that's right, we have another guest, and that's Zach Brock. Also from Team San Francisco. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they are both, uh, they both work at Square, and uh, you guys can tell people what Square does, and then introduce yourselves, that'd be great. So it's this uh, filtered photo sharing application, we think it's going to be really big. Uh, Square is uh, a startup that does uh, payments. Um, our goal is to uh, change the way that payments happen. Uh, so we start off with card processing and now we're doing a lot of other really exciting stuff. Our ultimate goal is to carry every transaction. Which sounds crazy, except for the fact that the lar second largest advertising network on the internet started off as a way to figure out if your neighbor in the Harvard dorms was single or not. <laughs> <laughs> I have a neighbor in the Harvard dorms. <laughs> when there's somebody from Square walking around the supermarket with me putting the cereal box into my cart, you guys will have won. <laughs> That's right. So, I'll do that for you, Josh. Did you I'll hold you to that, that. So did you just say that your business plan is based on the concept that because other business plans have been insane, we must be okay? Well, it's that uh, going for an audacious goal uh, is... Uh, you know, some people might look at it as crazy, but it's uh, you, crazier things have happened. And, and okay. we think that we have a really, you know, compelling use case and uh, and story around it. So we're hoping to right get for everybody yeah. that um, you can remake huge industries. Yeah, David, you've been in San Francisco less than a day. You're going to yeah. get used to this. <laughs> yeah, it's there's an insanity field here. It's awesome. Yeah, it's exciting. It's fun that people like, you know, are willing to try all kinds of crazy stuff and you know a lot of it actually ends up sticking which is cool nice jack gets to say something right true yeah oh, yeah about square 
Um, well, that's our, our large goal. Uh, more specifically, we, uh, we've recently been written up as having uh, the talent to do Apple better than Apple. Um, I'm not sure if I agree with that, but we are really focused on design and simplicity, uh, which Ruby fits into really well, um, as well as iOS fits into really well. And, uh, and we're an interesting engineering company that focuses so deliberately on aesthetics and experience over features that uh, it's pretty fun to, to actually build these products. Cool. So so what about you guys uh, in particular? You know, what, what's your experience? You know, where were you before Square and, and uh, what kind of cool stuff do you do outside of work? <laughs> uh, also, first, the uh, my last company, two companies in a row, I founded with a co-founder that I really appreciate and enjoy. And we had almost enough skill to make a company work, but not quite. Um, my last one was, uh, would you believe it, online deals? We thought it was going to be huge. Not, not a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, none, none of those sites work. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of pain. A lot of pain. And when I'm not at work or writing code, I'm a feminist. That's pretty much my off time right there. That's a different podcast, though. So ask me <laughs> questions if it, if it relates to Ruby Gems. <laughs> I think Ruby Gems could use some more feminism. I work on it. I wrote one called Feminizer. What it does is it takes a, a string of text input and swaps the gender of all pronouns into the string output. That's so, awesome. uh, yeah, you just hook it up to any website and like as a proxy. And there's one called theartofmanliness.com, and I created the art of womanliness. It's the exact same copy, just with a pronoun <laughs> switch, and it makes as much sense. Awesome. I'm afraid of what it would do to somebody if they, they ran the string I am happy through that. Well, uh, Chuck also has a version of the Bible that he's run through this, um, which is leads to some pretty interesting passages. True, true. That's right. awesome. So you guys um, kind of explain that, you know, you're in the financial transaction and stuff, but um, it, I, just to me, looking around on the site, uh, it seems like one of the really cool things is that, uh, you know, you basically have this iPhone adapter here that you know you put in and then you can swipe a credit card through it, right? Right. That's yeah. Good. I, mean, I mean, it's all like our our big goal is to make payments easier, and you know, right now taking credit cards is kind of a hassle. Like, don't you plug it into the headphone jack? True. Yeah, we couldn't get the uh, license in the early days for the what is it, thirty pin adapter. Yep. So we just uh, it's basically cassette tape technology. <laughs> yeah, it's it just cool. sends the audio straight down the headphone jack. Uh, and then our yeah. software decodes it, what, whatever the reader encoded, and then sends it across the internet to our servers, which then sends it to some sort of payment processing gateway deep in the sort of payment network globally, and then all the way back up the stack. Uh, Holy crap. Screen. So you, you couldn't get the 30-pin adapter, so you, <laughs> you encoded the credit card as audio and decoded it on the other side? That's freaking yeah. awesome. Well, so the original, well, that- original prototypes, it, just, it turns out that the bit rate on uh, mag stripes happens to be about the same as like the audio frequencies that um, like smartphones can record at. So you just sort of pass it straight in and it just kind of works. Well, um, well, well I can I can hum my credit card number. Can't you guys? Yeah, it's like, it's like those two guys who could, uh, who could replicate like the modem sound on sound. Yep. I can yep. actually hum Chuck's credit card number as well. Please do. This is being recorded. 
<laughs> so do you guys actually send an audio tone up to the device to to feed it like AC power? Uh, no, the, uh, the the readers are woken up by Skype and actually powered now. Uh, the new ones that we're sending out have a battery to them. Ah, okay. Right, the old ones, if I understand it correctly, uh, you know, were kinetic energy. So the swipe itself caused the power uh, to send the uh, audio signal down the, down the line. Wow, so, that is awesome. So if you go real slow, you don't get a signal. Huh. So so this would never work for Walmart then. Try it faster. <laughs> try it slower. Try it again. Here, let me try so, it. I'm going to put a so bag what around was, it. What was the desire to switch from kinetic energy to battery then? It seems like the kinetic would be superior. Uh, well, there's, we get a lot more data um, and a lot cleaner signal off of powering it. Um, ah. We also now do encryption in the device, um, which is pretty cool. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we, can, we can get, like, information about what direction people swiped in, so we can use that for uh, debugging problems later or, like, for quality control on the readers and stuff like that. Pretty neat. Sweet. Cool. How, pro- how programmable is the device? I mean, can you upload new software to it in the field, or is it... No, definitely not. I think it, okay. it nukes itself if you try and do that. Our, uh, our security guys... Uh, did a lot of really cool stuff in that thing. But we'll send you one. You tell us what you think. Try to put something on there. <laughs> yeah, but don't uh, don't don't tear it apart and uh, you know try and re- uh, reclaim it for some other use. That makes our hardware team really unhappy. I've I've oh. actually I've actually got Android Linux running on mine, but I wasn't able to get ice cream sandwich, so it doesn't really count. <laughs> <laughs> They're too <laughs> nervous to laugh. No, I it took a second to visualize that. I tried to imagine how long it would take to boot off of a tiny microcontroller. Well, well, and you know that Dave's sitting there trying to power the thing by swiping a card through it over yeah. and over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> a stack of ten cards. Yeah. yeah. It's almost... Oh, man, I gotta start over. <laughs> okay, so, okay, so, Zach, how, how big is your engineering team at, at Square now? How many, how many, how many Rubyists do you have there? Uh, well, those are two different answers, I think. Uh, we're well, that's at, we're, why I asked two questions. We're up to about 90 engineers, uh, and I'd say, I'd probably say like two-thirds had, actually, I'd say everybody touches Ruby in some way, um, because if nothing else, like our internal tools and like our stuff for getting a new machine set up um, uses Ruby. Uh, and oftentimes there's like tweaks and stuff people want to make to that. Um, people who do Ruby more or less full time is probably mm, half that. Yeah, about half. Um, and uh, 90 engineers sounds like a lot, but we also have 16 engineering teams. So the average team size is like four people. Um, yeah. Like I said, Square is very much an iceberg. We just have to do a lot of stuff to right. get like money off your credit card and into your bank account. And, and do you manage all of the en- engineering teams there? Or just uh, some of them? Nah, so I, uh, right now I manage the teams responsible for the logged in website um, and for internet international and uh, dev tools, which is fun. Okay, cool. um, but we, I think our current ratio is about one to 10 for managers to engineers. Are you guys hardware guys yourselves, or or uh, or did you like bring someone in um, to to uh, well, I, take up the hardware stuff? I did uh, electrical engineering in college, but I have not touched okay. any of the hardware at Square. Those guys are much much better than I have. Uh, well, we have an amazing hardware team, and uh, a lot of them came from Apple actually, uh, where they were building all the like um, cool white plastic accessory stuff that you've used. Yeah. Sure, yeah. everybody comes from Apple. They've got some extremely talented people. Well, less now, since we've been hiring the one. <laughs> Please edit that out. 
<laughs> that doesn't work that way, Jack. Oh, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> here, here. Uh, why don't you give me your credit card number and I'll run it through Square. And then... <laughs> I'll just hum it to you. It's, uh, it's four followed by 15 ones. <laughs> yep. So, I, uh, that's mine, too. How did you know? That's amazing. So the... Um, Tell us, you know, since you want to run every transaction in the world, tell us what kind of scaling problems that gives you. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, so the, the actual requests per second is not that high. Um, there are a lot of Rails apps that uh, can handle much more just simple requests per second. But those are HTML publishing apps where a lot of it is cached or uh, in some way easier to manage. What we do is we take a card swipe, it hits our system, and then goes through a series of services, eventually hitting a third-party service to uh, basically decide whether this card is legit or not, and whether this should be authorized, then all the way back out. And that has to be incredibly fast, which means uh, the scaling is that we, we both have to be able to do that in every market we need to enter, but we need to do it um, with incredibly low latency which is a different problem than incredibly high throughput. Uh, and then we need to be able to scale every service that, um, every sort of uh, accessory service, like our risk team, with all the machine learning they do to uh, turn on and off bad users, and uh, all of the settlement work we do to get money into the bank accounts. We just announced that we do um, next day deposit, where you, if you took a payment by 5 p.m., it'll be in your bank account the next day, which is extraordinarily hard. And uh, trying to scale that to lots and lots of users without having 100,000 analysts actually looking at each of our users is incredibly tough. Yeah, this is the, uh, the approach that uh, PayPal took is they basically hired most of Omaha, Nebraska uh, to basically <clears> do their <throat> support and risk team. They had something like uh, eight or 900 employees um, there who all they did was like answer phone calls and look at transactions. So our goal is to scale sort of sublinearly with our number of transactions. Have you thought about using uh, Mechanical Turk for that? Uh, we've looked at a couple of those sort of crowdsourcing things, but uh, yes, we've thought of it. We've thought of it. It's uh, the the it's it's like a I mean it's a full time job to manage like quality on uh, on crowdsource stuff. There's actually some startups that do a really good job of it, but um, we haven't gotten to the point where that makes sense yet. Right. When we find a startup like that, we don't so much use their service as try to take them. Yeah, <laughs> we just try to buy them. <laughs> nice. It's like uh, a, on mechanical turf, so, you can set the you can set the requirements for like each worker must have these qualifications. You just say you must be a bonded and licensed CPA. <laughs> we require, we require and, and we'll pay you a fine. nickel for every transaction you handle. <laughs> In this economy. <laughs> yeah, to, so to what Jack said, uh, I think uh, our scaling profile is very different from like Facebook or Twitter. Like if you load Facebook and you get a white screen and you have to refresh, it's not a huge deal. Um, yeah. If you load yes, our it is. site and <laughs> if you load our site and like your money doesn't show up, uh, people start freaking out. So we have we have like a uh, availability and like correctness problem instead of like a throughput and like um, like a scalability problem. So yeah, have you built any any interesting like uh, tools or, or frameworks internally to deal with that where you just couldn't find anything that that did what you needed to do? Uh, yeah, actually, I think that's um, most of our tools. Yeah. Uh, you know, our, our goal is to open source as much of this stuff as possible. So hopefully in the next few months, we'll have some things to show off. Um, but uh, I mean, one of the one of the things 
one of the challenges we've run into is we've like, uh, uh, so to give like some context for sort of uh, the overall engineering story, um, you know, Square started off as just like a single Rails app because um, it's a great way to uh, build out, out like a feature set and we had an API and we had um, a website and it was, uh, you know, really, really fast to uh, basically figure out what our business was and like what we wanted to do. Um, and then as we've gotten bigger, we've started uh, pulling out chunks of that app. Um, I guess this started almost a year ago um, as we started spinning up new services. Uh, and uh, moving towards a service oriented architecture is challenging, uh, but the payoff is so worth it. Like um, having clean interfaces and separate code bases and separate test suites and separate deploy pipelines is really, really nice. And having teams not step on each other's toes. Yeah. yeah. So one thing that uh, I want to ask, because you were talking about having these transactions, you know, go all the way down the stack and come all the way back up really quickly. How do you I mean, what, what are some of the tricks to doing that? I mean, you're, you're saying that you can't cash. Um, that makes sense to me. Right, right. So so what are you doing to to make those super responsive? Because, I mean, people want to see that it's coming back and saying, you know, this credit card ran through properly or not. Mm-hmm. I'd I say mean, oh, go ahead. Okay, there's, there's, a, there's two things that are like just design patterns that we use. Um, one is degrading gracefully where uh, we have often um, redundant services at various steps in that stack where if one, if for whatever reason the service it relies on is down or something is, is broken, we just fall over to the, the, back, the backup. So it always goes through. Uh, the other is um, just a, a decorator pattern where kind of like how uh, Rack works with middleware where it, it each, each piece in the pipeline gets to add something or remove something or make an alteration. Um, we use that a lot for our synchronous, uh, our synchronous calls just because it's it's actually something we can reason about. And it's something that uh, prevents bugs just because it's a simple idea that this particular service is the one that turns our encrypted card data into unencrypted. And then the people downstream from that get unencrypted. Uh, and, and just those combination of that, degrading gracefully and having, uh, having fallbacks and keeping a, a clear idea of who gets to do what and simply that you just modify a stream going in and out works really well. And specifically for deployment, we um, rewrite a lot of the complex logic in Ruby, but we have to deploy this on JRuby because we need people who can tool the JVM uh, in a way that it doesn't have any downtime at all, ever, and goes really, really fast to be able to, to get this reliable uh, uptime. Right. Yeah. So, so my next question is about your uh, SOA, your service-oriented architecture. Um, do you just use the kind of, it seems like the standard model is typically to use some kind of, um, queue for processing jobs. And then, um, if you need some kind of synchronous response, then you can make an HTTP request. Is that how you're doing it? Or are you doing something a little different? Oh uh, yeah. We use HTTP for a lot of the stuff. The queuing thing is actually something we debated for a long time, uh, before coming up with a solution we were happy with. Um, the, uh, the problem, like there's lots of problems with queues, particularly when dealing with money, like basically all of them have some guaranteed failure case where they just lose data. Um, By the way, I want a money queue. I really want a money queue. Money queue. We had uh, uh, the fire hose in our uh, office used to have a sign out that said the money hose uh, only turn on in case of emergency. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So so anyway, you were saying about queues. Yeah, so the strategy we've gone with is actually more like um, a feed. Uh, So each app is responsible for basically publishing a feed of interesting events that happen to it. And everybody else can basically come back and read through that feed to sync themselves up with the state of the world, Um, which means as long as your app is uh, your particular service is up uh, everybody else can sort of figure out what your state is and what's going on so and the consumer keeps track of its own cursor
cursor for where it needs to be. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it also seems like then if there is something on the feed that I need to do something about, then I can report that back and then yeah. the, the service that's providing the feed can update the feed. Yeah, so the model we actually think about it in terms of is like a pub sub hubbub, uh, mm-hmm. which is there's, you know, you can pull um, as sort of the degraded case, but actually provide basically um, you know, notifications when something new happens. Um, so it should be fairly instantaneous. That's nice. that, it, it, it sounds like a bit of a decentralization of the Linda model. Which, which yeah. uh, you know, yeah, adds some redundancy. The Linda good. model. Yeah, the Linda yeah. model. They used to call it a blackboard model. Now they call it a whiteboard model. It's basically if you have work for somebody, you throw it up on a on like a common bulletin board or blackboard, mm-hmm. and then someone comes along and pick you know, like marks it and say, "Oh, I'm working on this." So it's it's just basically a, a big shared work queue that has yep. some some uh, defined states for how it gets managed. Right. Yeah, and uh, I mean the trick to this, of course, is your event feed has to be immutable. Um, you can't ever go back and update something in the past. So you just basically stream events in. Um, the nice thing about it is if a new service comes up, it can basically get completely caught up on something else by starting at cursor position zero and just rolling forward. Right. Uh, yeah, it's also uh, really great for, uh, you know, anytime you need to recreate the state of the world, right? You can always just replay events, right? Right, yeah. The cool thing about this is, uh, you know, we sort of came up with the solution and then uh, now I see it everywhere. Um, like I was reading through the Redis source for how it does uh, slave synchronization. And that's like pretty close to what happens is it basically first it tries to take a dump of the data and then it replays a log in order to catch up like a stream of events. Yeah, the, it, it, I heard a couple years ago that um, the way uh, eBay was managing their uh, their transactions was that they were not using transactional systems. They were just logging everything. Thing, and then they would go back and make everything consistent, uh, you know, slightly later. Yeah, there was actually a talk on this kind of approach uh, at RailsConf last week. Yeah, uh, the uh, event streaming thing. Right, right. Uh, it's uh, it's cool. There's also there's a great article on um, the LMAX architecture, um, which I think came out of Betfair. I think I think Martin Fowler wrote it. Um, yeah, that, that's beautiful. Uh, but it talks basically about putting this into practice and how they have a trading system that handles like hundreds of thousands of requests a second. Um, it was millions. It was like 20 million or something. So, so you'll be open sourcing a Ruby gem for this next week? <laughs> well, we're, you know, we're, we're uh, getting sort of the first few systems up and running with this thing. But uh, the goal is to extract it into something common because we're going to use it all over the place. So hopefully, yeah. I so mean, uh, so are you always to open source as much as possible. So are your feeds uh, standard like RSS or Atom feeds or are they a little more specialized than that? Uh, I will, JSON uh, and not XML. JSON? Sweet. Right. Uh, and it'll probably be a custom schema for each service for now, just because we don't know exactly how we're going to be using this. And we have a lot of really weird services, or like or just very strange services, publishing things. Um, they're not they're not sort of concepts that we've encountered before. So I don't know, maybe Zach has an idea, but I don't know if there's uh, a particular protocol. No, I think uh, I mean we have to get the first few of these up in production, and then we're going to. F- find out all the ways that it doesn't work and then probably rewrite it two or three times before we uh, actually manage to open source it. So you guys you guys took basically a monolithic application and divided it up into a service-oriented architecture. And it sounds like you, you took a pretty small view of service. Like, you know, you mentioned at one point, uh, you know, just having a service that just does the encryption decryption. And then basically you pipeline those services, right? So this service feeds to that, feeds to that, feeds to that on down the line. Yeah, I mean, it depends on sort of what layer of abstraction you 
look at. Like, um, for example, there's a payments service uh, that exposes like an HTTP interface internally. They basically say like, um, I would like you to charge this credit card this amount and it says, you know, hold on a second and comes back with a response. And internal, uh, so that's what sort of the rest of the company sees. But within that payment service is actually half a dozen other services. So it's like a gateway for Amex, um, a gateway to talk to uh, Chase Payment Tech. Um, there's a decryption service. There's um, a few other things as well. And so, you know, they expose like a single interface, but it actually has a pipeline sort of behind the scenes. Um, and I think that's like, you know, it's, it's the same principles of like good software architecture just applied to like um, systems architecture. It's like have good interfaces, have good abstractions, you know, don't expose like private state to people. So that, that's, one, that's what that's what Avdi said in uh, in our panel last week. He said that pretty much every every large software system becomes object oriented over time. Sure. Yeah. So that makes one, sense. one other thing that comes to mind with the, the feed approach is um, if you're not using a queue, usually what happens is you pull something off the queue, you work it, and then nobody else pulls it off the queue because it's not there anymore. So how, how do you handle concurrency if you have to scale it horizontally in order to, um, in order to manage? Um, I just lost my train of thought because Josh said I, I just quoted Avdi to his face and I'm trying not to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, so if, if this feed is out there for, you know, multiple people to sub or multiple people, multiple services to subscribe to and handle things on that queue or on that feed, then, you know, if you scale horizontally to manage the traffic coming through, um, how do you manage concurrency? How do you make sure that, you know, everybody's not doing the same job? It's on the consumer side. Like it's uh, as a consumer, you, you have some set of processes and workers and it's your job to coordinate that. It's not the job of the person publishing the feed. Um, right. So try and push that complexity down. To, and it's you know it's very similar like if you hook something up to the Twitter firehose like you're uh -huh. responsible for figuring out if you've processed a tweet yet or not. Right, that makes sense. We still do have queues and we're using Rescue pretty heavily, so we we still do have uh, workers churning through things where it, once it happens it's removed. In addition to our feeds, I, right. I, I have a question about the. I mean, you have a pretty sophisticated distributed system you've constructed here. Do you ever find yourself wanting better linguistic support for doing this kind of distributed processing? Or, or you, do you have it? Are you asking them why they haven't switched to Erlang yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I guess that would be one way of asking the question. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, the more I read and, and play with Clojure, the more I wish that all of Square ran on Clojure. Uh, it's, it's not as fun as Ruby, but... There's some nice, yes, linguistic support would be beautiful. Can you say in particular? I mean, I mean, uh, so in Clojure, you have to explicitly state when you're going to change mutable state. And it's like a, an awkward invocation. You, like, you say swap with a, with a bang. And then you're allowed to, to change something. And then Clojure, at the runtime, it will uh, do the locking or any sort of mutex you need to make sure that there's no race conditions. And everything else, like every normal thing you write, is assumed to be concurrent safe. And I think that's beautiful that the, the edge case, the special case, is when you have state and everything else is it's just pure functional. Whereas in Ruby, it's the opposite. Yeah, whereas in Ruby, you can reach in and do whatever you want to somebody else's instance right. variables. You can hack your existing runtime code. You can, you can open a, a back door. We don't do this. But we can open a back door where you send the right TCP packets and change your running code from any host. Like, that's cool. But we're a payments company, and cool and reliable are sometimes at odds. We have a very enlightened security team. Otherwise, they would probably tell us to switch to Java. True. <laughs> <laughs> but we wouldn't do that because we're not going to do that. that. Okay, okay. 
So, so the other question I have about the service-oriented architecture is how you manage your common code. I, I, I assume that since you had you had some big monolithic application, you, or maybe a small monolithic application, you break it apart. You need to have you you want to be sharing code among them. Do do you have like private Ruby gems that you use internally, or some other thing? Sure. First, I'll clarify. We have um, we had a, a big monolithic app, and now we have a bunch of services that are nice and well contained, and a big monolithic app. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that there's not a unfortunately there's not a like switch you flip where you're like ah our monolithic problems are solved. I half expected you to say now we have a whole bunch of small monolithic apps. <laughs> right, we have that too. Um, they're pretty well contained, but the the old Rails app is still there and it has a variety of functions, which is uh, a, a terrible pattern. And uh, <laughs> it, the junk drawer the, pattern, huh? Right, it's yeah. the junk drawer pattern. It handles a lot of wrapping where sometimes a big uh, or a controller used to do a bunch of stuff with all the models that it managed, um, and all that stuff is now handled by a service, but the controller is still a routing proxy for it. So a request comes in, the Rails app says, oh, okay, uh, it's just an empty shell right there, and it just sends off to a service and it comes back. But then there are other things where we prototype new features, and, uh, and there's no more convenient place to put it than in this Rails app. And we need our services to get a little bit more mature and and sort of slice this Rails app down smaller and smaller until it's either just a routing layer or more likely just the signed-in website. Yeah, and uh, I think like you know, uh, this is going to be an ongoing like task for a while. Um, it's you know we're very much like the beginning of this like SOA process. Um, it's going to be like a pretty cool challenge uh, over the next you know year or two to sort of finally kill the monorail. <laughs> okay. Okay. But- actually, this pattern is actually like uh, the the more we talk to people about it, like the like the more I'm noticing it in other companies as well. Like um, Twitter went through this exact same process. Um, sounds like Groupon went through something pretty similar. Living social. Mm-hmm. Did you say the monorail? Monorail. I love it. Is that a term for a monolithic Rails application, or is that something else? Yeah, I, I wish we could take credit for it, but we actually stole it from Twitter. Yeah, it's um, it's, it has a lot of uh, deep connotation. Anybody who's worked with one um, hears that and they think, ah, oh, yes, the monorail, the source of all my pain. But also, there's <laughs> Disneyland. Huey <laughs> right. Simpson's monorail song. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, well, but but you must have some sort of like shared functionality among several pieces of your code. You have, you know, running oh, yeah. on different servers. And oh, we, definitely have, uh, we definitely, we use a lot of internal Ruby gems for that sort of stuff. Okay. Um, right. And uh, we have a GitHub enterprise install, which makes it really easy. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, in general, the stuff that we share is like, the things like the feed consumer will be like a Ruby gem. Um, and stuff like we don't generally share a lot of like business logic between apps. Okay, do you what you break that out into a service and just yeah talk to that over the wire? Yeah, as much as possible. But I mean, you bring up a good point. Um, documentation about these services is actually very hard, and we've explored a few different ways to to keep things in sync, like just writing the documentation for an interface on the wiki, which means it's always out of date. Or we have one thing we've created <laughs> that automatically generates the documentation. But it's really complex, and most engineers don't know how to automatically generate the documentation, even though it's really it's a good idea. Um, uh, Yammer uses this idea where they they have a every service ships its own client, but also has a separate library of its API that both the client and the service server uses. So the API is actually its own its own concept, and it is shipped so that every client and server can use it. And I don't know if we'll go that direction, but I like it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so the thing that I love most about the Square Office 
uh, you know, aside from the the meals there, is that okay. when you walk in there, you feel like uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm in the Situation Room. There's just like all of these monitor. Everywhere I look, there's some television monitor mounted high on the wall that makes me feel like I'm being overloaded with information. And and I and it feels like anywhere I go in that office, there's no way to avoid being aware of what's going on in the company's information systems. True. I was hoping they had Netflix. <laughs> We also have Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of those are plugged into uh, Apple TVs, so you probably can watch Netflix. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, no, having having the monitors is fantastic. It's really nice to get like a big picture view of what's going on, and um, you can set like you can set alerting, and you can have like Nagios uh, checks and everything else. But there's like actually seeing a graph. Um, oftentimes, you'll catch things before it would turn into a real problem. Uh, or you notice like weird trends or ask questions or it sort of entices people to be curious, uh, which I really like. So, so how, how much how much of an investment? I mean, I mean, the hardware aside that how much of an investment I- internally do, do you make in monitoring and and reporting all of oh. the activity in your systems? Hardware is not Quite the half of it. Yeah. So just buying a few TVs with Apple TVs hooked up was was the small part. We have an analytics team full of uh, analysts, um, or uh, both people who are good at coming up with general analytics, and one guy who just writes amazing analytics software, um, Mike Bostock. We've actually, uh, we, we have actually open sourced a bunch of good stuff. Uh, Cube is a time series database, um, and uh, Cubism is a front end for doing time series visualization. Um, so uh, the way we have it set up right now um, is a lot of app-level metrics get fed into Cube. So we can see over the course of days and weeks um, how many card authorizations we're processing, how many tabs are getting opened, how many dollars we're moving. Um, and then uh, Cubism visualizes that and um, sort of system-level metrics, which are going into Graphite. Uh, so it's really neat to see the correlation between like database load and you know dollars moving through the system or... Right. Um, you know, you see interesting spikes, uh, and you can line them up with like, uh, you know, uh, slowdowns in the job queue or something like that. And it really is designed not to be just fun sort of info porn, but actionable information. Where like when you're when you're on call, and you, which we have an on call rotation using PagerDuty, and you're in charge of the current deploy or something going on, then the the task that you have is to make sure that card authorizations are still processing that the system is healthy as you're like doing some sort of tricky database migration or something. And how do you do that if you don't have a rich set of dashboards telling you the state of all of our hosts? Yeah. So that's interesting. Have you noticed like uh, times where you, you caught some information on the screens and it led you to something that was happening? Totally. Yeah. Like I think it was just a couple weeks ago. Um, I, there was we were we were doing a deploy and there there was some sort of database migration and we noticed that as the deploy like as the deploy was about to start database load went up like a lot up and uh, and so we had to we stopped the deploy because we knew that something had just happened in the system that triggered a massive write to one of our primary databases that if we were to then try to do the database migration our MySQL would lock on a big table and everything would just grind to a halt. And everything, I mean, we'd probably have some leeway where things would sort of stay in some sort of temporary queue. Our passengers might build, like stack up, but if something locks for 20 or 30 seconds, um, that means a card authorization that would normally take, uh, you know, one second now takes 30 seconds, and it's totally unacceptable. So we just we shut it down. We checked out the source of the problem. It was some sort of periodic job. We're like, okay, it doesn't have to run right now. Let's shut that down. Things go back to normal. Push our code out. 
So when you guys say that you've got a team of analysts, do you mean like statisticians, like actual people that are sitting down, sifting through the numbers and trying to come up with interesting questions to ask the numbers? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, we have we have a lot of people like that. And you know, one of the things that we try to do is be uh, metrics driven as much as possible. So hopefully everybody's looking at numbers all the time. Um, but we have uh, the analytics team in particular is mostly focused around risk and fraud. And we've okay. got some guys who have like heavy machine learning backgrounds um, and are also great engineers and uh, mm-hmm. great guys to go out and grab a beer with. Um, yeah. But uh, they do everything from uh, looking for patterns in the data and working to come up with like uh, machine learning models to actually building and deploying the services and infrastructure to run those in real time. Mm-hmm. I, I have to say I really like the whole idea of um, having the metrics available to the company at large just in the sense that you know, you can get in there and you can say, hey, folks, this is the vision and this is how we're doing on the vision and, uh, you know, move forward that way. So everybody's kind of on the same page instead of, you know, well, I, I all I really care about is my one little corner. And as long as my one little corner works, you know, the rest of you guys, you know, you can be as stupid as you want. No, I think it I think it helps everybody make better decisions also. Like you can yeah. very clearly see both like, um, you know, what's going on, also the impact that you have, like you roll something out and you look at the day over day graph and like, wow, like a lot more people are using the website all of a sudden. This is really cool. It's also a side effect of our, uh, our very open culture. Like every employee knows how much money we're processing and how much money is in the bank account. Uh, we know like all the, all the details about Square, every employee is privy to. And it's just, it just makes sense that we would have access to the information about how all the performance is happening too. So you ever look up there and go, we're rich. <laughs> all the time. Uh, <laughs> Look up there and go. We still have a long way to go. There's yeah, millions of people we have to go out and serve. Hey, yeah. okay. Both of you guys keep using the D word, uh, deployment. Uh, can, can you can you talk a little bit about your deployment magic? I, I imagine it must be uh, pretty crazy to be able to do zero downtime on your system, which uh, seems like that would be a big requirement. Yeah, so there's, there's sort of two parts to it. There's um, there's deployment for our monorail, and then there's deployment for all the new services. Uh, we've actually, um, the new service stuff is uh, fairly vanilla uh, because we thought about how to do zero time to deployment and make this really easy. Um, we've actually open sourced uh, one of the tools that we uh, use for this, um, which is called Jetpack, uh, which lets you hook up a rack app to Jetty really easily. Um, and then we have a course Capistrano script that I don't think we've rolled out yet um, that makes deploying these services uh, pretty trivial. Um, and uh, so, that, so for all the new stuff, it's really easy. You uh, you have like uh, three instances running. You rotate them out one at a time and sort of do a rolling deploy. Um, deploying the monorail is a little bit more complicated, uh, but we have it down to a uh, basically a one-liner. Uh, um, there's a script that you run and you basically watch uh, the graphs. This stuff goes out. It takes about 10 minutes from when you decide to do it to stuff being live on every server. Um, but basically, the uh, uh, you don't do database migrations as part of your deploy. Uh, you have to do them sort of asynchronously. Um, mm-hmm. Migrating MySQL is annoying. Um, you should use Postgres. The so problem doesn't exist. Oh, yes. Um, we're, uh, so that's the other thing is we're switching everything to Postgres. Um, or at oh, least good. everything new is on Postgres. That's Postgres good, is really that, nice. That's good to hear. I, I, I was just telling someone about the, um, the uh, asynchronous or the concurrent index construction on Postgres which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the next version of Postgres has a full JavaScript runtime. So now you know right. it's hipster. Yeah, well, well, that well that plus H store means, you know, who needs Mongo anymore? Right? Yeah. Right. Hey, yeah uh, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's uh, Postgres is really nice. It's just yeah. like um, every uh, the the guys at uh, Heroku are actually doing some really amazing stuff with it. Um, they have some uh, they they definitely pushed the limits with what you can do with like a database and pushed a lot of stuff that you would normally consider app logic uh, in the database, which is neat. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, so for the deployment stuff, uh, we uh, we actually take um, servers out of the load balancer, deploy to them, uh, warm them up with a few requests, so you don't so nobody gets stuck with like the slow passenger problem um, and then rotate them back into the load balancer. Um, Do you warm so them this, up with Zach's card? We just hit the home uh, page, but um, we should try running real card processing stuff through them. So that's interesting. So, so I've heard of people doing A-B cutovers. This sounds like you're doing A-B cutovers in small batches. Yeah, I mean, really? uh, what we'd like to move towards is having a full replica of production um, and we are going to have a full replica of production and actually be able to do sort of green-blue deployment. Um, but that's probably six months out. Although, uh, don't tell our production engineering team that I said six months. They, they'll probably get angry at me. <laughs> well, well, do, we'll don't have worry, it done I'm, tomorrow. Yeah, don't worry, I'm sure nobody listens to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> six we months have, plus or minus two years, right? We have three listeners and four of them are actually uh, panelists. So, yeah. <laughs> and the other one is Dave's mom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, deployment is um, basically like rolling restarts and uh, slowly rolling stuff out and then doing migrations offline. Um, it does mean a little bit more complex in your code. You have to be sort of backwards and forwards compatible. Um, but this, the sort of uh, both the safety of not having to worry about it when stuff goes out and also the ability to deploy at any time or for any reason is really nice so so that sounds like an interesting topic for like a, a talk at a conference oh really it does <laughs> interesting it really does huh. in fact do you should go back in time just to, saying <laughs> go back invent some sort of san francisco ruby conference coming up yeah 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 i'm just saying you know uh, there, forget, especially forget that one there's one in salt lake too but it's already <laughs> over it's okay they got their time machine built in time yeah. <laughs> How else do you build a time machine? Yeah. What was the, this, the protest sign? What do we want? Time machines. When do we want it? Okay, you do not understand the question. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Hey, guys, I've got to drop off. I've got to figure out how to get across San Francisco to uh, my new contract gig. And uh, it's been great talking to you guys. Loved it, dude. Uh, text us if you need help with directions. We're locals. Fantastic. We'll do. Yeah. Dave's are not so local anymore. Drop out. Yep. Yeah. For this, for this week, I'm actually tipping the balance. So we actually have more San Franciscans, uh, on the call than anybody else. That's, that's, that's awesome. Crazy. Yeah. So, all right. Have a fantastic day. You guys. Bye. 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 See ya. All right. Well, it's about time to get to the picks anyway. Um, He's gone. Yeah. Already? <laughs> hey, One no. more question. Okay, go for it. Um, so, so you guys have to work with banks a lot, right? True. Yeah. Uh, so, um, my question is: Is that awful, or is it the worst? Uh, <laughs> is that like Dave's coffee script question? On it's the like, awful scale, <laughs> it's like worst plus plus. It's uh, so the 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 banks run <laughs> software that was. No, it wasn't like it, it's not that it's like it was written in the 70s, it was written in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, literally, there's uh, it's actually the more the more you dig into like the financial system, the more sort of um 
terrifying it is. Uh, you, you can you can move a shocking amount of money with an uh, FTP account and a flat file because um, that is basically how the ACH system runs. Right. Um, oh my god! And you you have to <laughs> pad out your lines with zeros because it was designed for punch cards. Oh man, um, I'm in so the wrong profession. I should I should learn how to hack zeros. FTP. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we've got um, this. Uh, We've got this VPN to the bank, and we just send these multi-gigabyte flat files, and then just money goes places. It's a terrible system. Wow, that that shakes my faith in the system right there. Anything <laughs> that it all works, um, and it works pretty consistently. Uh, but I mean, this is, this is part of why we uh, what we're trying to do is you know make the banking system better, uh, make moving money a more pleasant experience. Yeah, it, yeah. It's it, what? It, 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 it. What astounds me is how much of the banking system is antiquated crap like that, and then the other half is like things like smart cards and right, you know, you know space age technology. Yeah. Or a Java card, right? Yeah. <laughs> every, every now and then. Raise your yeah. iPhone, you got a Java card in it. Yeah, right. Snap a picture of the check with your phone, and it can not only verify that it's a real check, but it can actually go and deposit it in your account. Right. So, yeah, that's, and a lot of we, we live in the future, right? Yeah. Uh, we don't fly in cars, but we do have the, what's the XKCD line, like a device in your pocket that tells you where you are in the world and can get you in contact with almost anybody. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so, it's basically telepathy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so the, the reason that we can do such modern stuff with banking is because we put in the work and deal with the pain of dealing with the ancient stuff about banking. And like we're that abstraction layer in so many ways between the, the crap of the actual banking system and how people want to interact with payments. Yep. It, it pays off. So I'm wondering if you guys have exposed any kind of API for your, for your stuff. Do you want the official answer or the real one? <laughs> yes. Whichever one won't get you fired. <laughs> uh, Severely no. reprimanded is acceptable, but fired isn't. <laughs> uh, so the, the real answer is um, we don't offer an API because we want to craft the span of your transaction around payments. Uh-huh. And you need control in order to do that because anybody can just move money around. But not everybody can make you have an enjoyable experience when you're paying or receiving money. And so that's really our value add, and that's what can make the company worth so much, whereas simply just being another banking platform is uh, not advantageous to us. That said, we have an API because our clients use it, and we have a set of curl scripts internally that hit that API to test it, and we're just not going to tell you about it, but it exists. (laughs) Uh, yeah, they also, uh, and we do, we have like tried a few sort of API strategies um, and we haven't sort of come up with the one that we've been really happy with. Um, but we do have some partners that are using some of our uh, earlier attempts. Um, so like we announced a partnership with Salvation Army um, right. and with uh, Obama for America and with uh, the Mitt Romney campaign. So we're, we're definitely looking at ways to like get, like expand sort of the number of people who can use Square. And we went in a really unusual direction with those partnerships where rather than saying, here's API, use it, uh, we have enough talent in-house that we just went ahead and built them an app. Like if there's a Romney application, there's a, like, a, a, um, anytime we partner with somebody, we'll just go ahead and, and roll them their own version of like the Square card reader app and, and ship it off to them. So it's unusual to do that kind of thing with your own API, but it means a lot to us to be able to craft the whole experience. Great. So how do how do I get an app with my face on it where people can send me money? 
<laughs> send me an email. I'll see what I can do. All right, cool. Okay, one more question I have, and then we'll get into picks. And that is, is it really hip to be square? Absolutely. Yeah. The engineers were plaid. Nothing hipper. It's <laughs> awesome. jeans, plaid. <laughs> Loafers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's let's go ahead and get into the picks. Um, we'll make James start us off. All right. I've been playing around with uh, different themes for like my text editor and terminal lately. And the one that everybody seems to be in love with these days is Solarized. So if you haven't uh, checked that out, you should definitely look at it. Um, Solarize is pretty cool in how it was designed. It's got some, uh, you know, some kind of cool science behind it. Um, my problem with it is I think it's ugly. <laughs> so I've never been able to like get I agree. In, into Solarize. Yeah, yeah for some reason they just... I think the contrast is way too low. It just looks like shades of brown to me. Yeah, yeah. So I've had trouble getting into it. I, I really appreciate the design behind it, but I've had trouble uh, getting into it. But I found one recently uh, that's, you know, uh, not not exactly along the same lines, but kind of with the same level of detail that I really am liking, and that's Tomorrow Theme. Uh, and there's what's cool about Tomorrow Theme is it's got uh, several variations of it. So if you like a, a light one, there's that. Uh if you like, you know, the, the pastels or the or the super vibrant or blue. So uh, anyways, I've, I've found that's been great. And it's uh, there's iTerm uh, versions of it. So I could put it in my terminal and, uh, you know, uh, Emacs and, and TextMate and, you know, whatever your editor is, it's in there. So uh, those are some cool themes I've been playing with lately. And those are my picks. Nice. Cool. Avdi, what are your picks? Uh, I think just one today. Um, I was um, I got started on a client project with some Facebook Open Graph development, which, um, if you don't know about it, uh, it requires Facebook to be able to crawl your pages uh, for the tags that are embedded in them, which uh, becomes a little problematic when you're developing locally uh, and trying to test manually test something out locally. And because Facebook can't see your local app. So um, I looked at a few solutions for that. You know, a lot of people set up um, their own like tunneling proxies and stuff like that, or they use dynamic DNS. Um, I'm, I, I really wanted a, like a, uh, as brain dead, like brainless a solution as possible. Uh, cause I didn't really want to manage a, uh, a tunnel and I found a bunch of, uh, services for this. There's stuff like showoff.io, uh, and tunneler and, and stuff like that. But, uh, and I, I did a little blog post where I listed out, um, the ones that I found, but anyway, um, the one that seemed like it had the most features, is PageKite, and I've been using Page PageKite quite happily. Um, it does stuff like it, it lets you set up um, as many sort of pseudo subdomains as you want, um, which is nice when you're testing big apps that have actually have multiple apps involved in them that, you know, like one app delegates to another app for the authentication or something like that. Um, you know, I can I can set all that up so it works. And uh, they even have like a, a, a Debian, they have like a Debian package that'll set it up so it'll, you know, start up when your system starts up and they, and they have a, a nice little local GUI uh, that does stuff like shows you when PageKite is active and even actually like the the taskbar icon shows um, shows a little you know little blinky when the the tunnel is being hit um, and then of course the nice thing about these tunneling things is that you're not actually exposing a local port uh, because they're doing the the they're doing like you know something like SSH tunneling up to the uh, the service. Uh, so, so, you know, once you shut it down, you, you don't have to like 
uh, turn off a local port on your router or anything like that. So uh, page kite. Cool. Josh, what are your picks? Okay. Well, uh, I had a, I had a great time at RailsConf last week. Um, and, uh, yes, the, uh, the pentad of Ruby Rogues in person finally happened. <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, yes, we, we we didn't we didn't transform into a giant robot, but uh, we did the next best thing of alternating. That's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. we're, we're working on it. We did the next best thing of what? <laughs> of of all wearing great hats. Oh yes, yes. But uh, but but I have a I have a couple travel related picks. And and my first one is uh, the quirky power curl cable wrapper, and it's this it's this wonderful little piece of flexible rubbery plastic stuff that you um, pop your um, your MacBook power supply brick into, and then it has two grooves for wrapping up the the cord that goes in the wall, and then the cord with the MagSafe plug that goes into your Mac, and it's just great. It's like I wrap up my cord, I shove it in my in my bag, and I don't have like cables all over. Over the freaking place anymore in my bag and it's great so yeah he was showing uh, it off to us and we were all jealous it is cool looking i gotta say i love how that the groove for the magsafe adapter is thinner because that cord is thinner so yeah it's cool. yeah it's yeah i guess quirky does these things by like crowd crowdsourcing product design and then producing them so it's it's kind of awesome uh the so i like that and then uh the hotel i was staying in was kind of loud the first night i was there so I ran this uh, Mac application called Mac White Noise that I bought in the in the Mac uh, App Store, and it just was a white noise generator. And I played that on my on my Mac all night, and it made it a lot easier to sleep. So that I, the one I, I tried a couple of them, and the one I liked was uh, from a company called TMSoft. So, uh, and then I have a, a self indulgent pick. Uh, there's a new RubyConf on the map this year. It's the Steel City RubyConf. It's uh, because Pittsburgh is the Steel City, not the Motor City, as some people get confused about. Uh, the so it's Steel City RubyConf. It's the first weekend in August. I think that's the fourth and the fifth. And I'm going to be doing a talk there, which makes me incredibly happy because I grew up in Pittsburgh, and being able to go home and speak in the first at the first RubyConf in my hometown is uh, is pretty exciting for me. Uh, our uh, friend of the show, Steve Klabnik, is one of the organizers of the conference, and they're uh, they're setting it as the ideal first conference for Ruby developers. Awesome! Yeah, that one looks like fun. Um, I guess I I guess I'm next because I'm the last regular for the show. Um, while we were in Austin. Um, David actually, well, so a little bit of backstory here. People kept asking me if the theme song to the podcast was Kryptonite by Three Doors Down. And uh, no, it's not. It's actually a, a little song that I bought off of Jewel Beat. And so uh, that's one of my picks is Jewel Beat. Um, and you can just get uh, really inexpensive songs uh, licensed for like one podcast or whatever. Um, but anyway, so David had this picking on series that he'd been listening to. Um, and, you know, one of them was picking on Three Doors Down and it had kryptonite on it and you know it was stuck in my head for two days after that but um i really really liked them and they actually have a picking on you too and a couple of others and so um I, I i i grew up listening to country music and uh i have this uh i have this kind of um love for for bluegrass and country music and and at the same time you know they they cover a lot of the the rock bands that i really enjoy and so they anyway so i went and looked them up in in itunes and so i've been listening to those 
for for a week now and really really like them so uh that's my other pick is uh is that uh deal anyway um jack do you have some picks for us I sure do. Um, so the one I mentioned earlier is uh, <laughs> closure. I really like closure, and um, I wouldn't have tried something on the JVM or because uh, I like Erling, except that uh, Phil Hagelberg of the Seattle RB wrote the package management system for closure, and so I feel like it's Rubyist approved, and that gives me the the <clears throat> just the boost that I need to take it seriously. So um, I like it. I like playing with it. Um, I think that it's a great um, it's a great piece of te- tech for building a service in particular. Um, and I'll paste that in to our notes so everybody can see it. And the other one is I read a book last summer that kind of changed things for me in terms of my career and professional development that I didn't expect. Um, my last startup I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. I tried my best, my partner tried his best, but we didn't have the actual skills necessary to accomplish what we were trying to do. And I was wondering for months afterward, like what what exactly went wrong? Like sure we didn't have all the experience we could have had, but we're pretty smart guys and we knew the technology. And then I read um, Richard Rumelt's book, Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. He's a professor at UC Berkeley, if I understand correctly, and he was an engineer at NASA's JPL. Like he has serious technological credentials. And he studied strategy for the last few decades. And uh, effectively, the book is about how people come up with really terrible strategy or buzzwords and think it's strategy and um, and how you can avoid that and how you can actually come up with a plan for enacting change in the world around you or for accomplishing measurable goals. And it was uh, it was pretty awesome. So I, I haven't really done much with it, which is embarrassing, but I'm going to, you know, rule, rule the world eventually. Not really. I'm going to, uh, at least apply these skills to my next, uh, commercial endeavor. And I, I really recommend the book. It's it at least it helps you not do lazy thinking. Right. All right. Um, Zach, do you have some picks for us? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, um, as an avowed comic book geek, uh, I, I feel I have to start with the, uh, new dark Knight rises trailer because it looks amazing. Um, and everybody should go watch it. I think it just came out last night. Um, but on a more technical front, um, I mentioned earlier, like Postgres is amazing and there's all kinds of cool stuff you can do it. And, uh, Ryan Smith, uh, ace hacker over at Heroku has a queuing library called Q classic, um, which basically gives you uh, a similar background queue to rescue, uh, built on top of Postgres. So, uh, handles all the stuff around um, locking jobs and uh, uh, serializing things and shoving them into um, the background uh, and does it using the database that you are hopefully already using, uh, which is kind of cool. You don't have to get Redis set up and um, run a whole other process in order to do this. Um, and uh, let's see, I think I had one more. Um, I guess I just say Postgres in general. Uh, the more I learn about it, the more amazed I am at um, how awesome it is. So if you haven't tried it out yet, you definitely should. Yeah, um, both of those technologies I interviewed uh, uh, interviewed <laughs> I interviewed on the Teach Me to Code podcast. Um, both Ryan Smith about Q Classic, and I also interviewed uh, Josh Burkus, who is the um, the team lead on Postgres. So if you if you want some inside information on those, then then you can go look those up. Um, but yeah, so uh, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, 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 Chuck, Chuck, I have one last uh, uh, bonus pick, and I'll just put it in the show notes. It's a link to an answer on Quora that uh, is worth checking out. <laughs> <laughs> you know it, Josh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Watch out. 
Okay, that's it. All right, I just put it in as Quora story, so you guys are going to have to click on it to see what it's about. Um, All right, so um, a few announcements. First off, we announced at uh, RailsConf last week that you can go to sign up for um, the Ruby Rogues Parlay, which is basically you get on a mailing list with us and you can ask us questions and stuff. Um, I've actually got it set up on the website, but I haven't redirected the uh, parlay.rubyrogues.com domain yet. So if you go to rubyrogues.com over on the right, you'll see that you can select uh, $10 a year, $10 a month, or uh, $50 a month. And basically that's just going to support the show and help cover the costs here and uh, maybe give a little bit back to the rogues. So um, if, if you want to go and join up, uh, any of those levels get you into the, the mailing list. Um, you know, doing more than the minimum just helps the show. So, um, and, and how much do they have to donate to come be a guest on the show? <laughs> <laughs> Email me and we'll talk. <laughs> okay. Being a guest is totally worth it. The, uh, the pre-show is uh, pretty clutch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll charge extra for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly, uh, we, we invite the guests because we feel like they have interesting things to say and, uh, I have yet to be disappointed. So, um, you know, but yeah, if you want to be a guest on the show, if you feel like you have something interesting to share, then, uh, you know, you can let us know we'll discuss it and see where we think you fit as far as our timeline and things like that so the the easiest way to get to get yourself to be a guest on the show apparently is to challenge us you know call us out in public on twitter tell us we're wrong (laughs) it worked for steve klabnik didn't it yeah yeah then come fight with us yeah um so uh other things we are doing a book club um i've got a tentatively scheduled for may 23rd with jesse stormer and we are going to be reading his book working with unix processes you can get that at working with unix and when you buy the book use the code book club for i think it's five dollars off another cool thing about that book um it's kind of growing and changing over time like he recently just added another chapter to it which is really cool because when I read it, I was like, oh man, my biggest complaint is that he didn't even cover IPC. And um, then he just added a chapter that covers IPC. So if you haven't uh, stayed up with the updates, you should do that. Cool. Good to know. So now I'm not 75% done. I'm 65% done. Is that what you're telling me? That's right. You're falling behind. Catch up, Chuck. All right. So uh, other than that, uh, you can find us in iTunes. Uh, Just do a search for Ruby Rogues. Um, I think we're still in the what's hot category in technology, which is uh, really great. And I really appreciate all the reviews and and, uh, spreading the word that we've gotten from our listeners. So you guys rock. Um, Leave us a review if you haven't. And, uh, you know, you can also get us on the uh, Android and other devices, um, you know, simply by using one of the podcatchers on there. And uh, if we're not somewhere where you want us to be, like we just got into Stitcher, um, then, you know, send us an email or leave us feedback in the feedback forum um, and things like that, just to let us know where you're looking for us so that we can make sure that we get in there. Um, And finally, if you do have topic ideas, things you want us to talk about, then go to rubyrogues.com and click on uh, request a, is it request a topic? Um, it's up at the top and, um, that takes you to the forum where you can put things in. You can also vote for, uh, topic ideas. And, uh, that's where we've gotten some of the ideas like, uh, um, object objects on rails, uh, part two, 
Um, we also did the um, getting into open source and all of those came out of the forums. Those were things that people asked us to talk about. So um, we do try and hit those at least once a month and uh, get interesting guests uh, the rest of the time. So uh, anyway, and finally, if you were in the audience at RailsConf, just thanks again for, for the warm reception that we got. That was a lot of fun and it's so great to see you guys there and get to interact with you in person. So uh, we'll wrap this up. We'll be back next week and we are talking to somebody. Who are we talking to? I just looked and uh, actually it's uh, Ruby quizzes, exercises and something else. Was that a pick from the uh, website? Yes, it's it's from uh, whatchamacallit, from user voice, from the, the topic forum. So, gotcha. yep. So I guess we won't be back with a guest, but that's what we'll be talking about. And uh, we have a resident expert here on the panel. So uh, excited for that. So, yeah, with that, we'll we'll wrap this up. We'll, we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Adios.